Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. So what's up, what's up, what's up, y'all? This is Classified. This is Mocha Only. This is Sean Price. Yeah, Ghostface Killer. This is Quake Matthews. What's up, my brother Ali? Five Diggy Tribe Core Quest. Eloquent, man. What up, Styles Peter Ghost. This is Ab Soul. This is K.O. And you listening to The Come Up Show, where that feel-good music lives. This is show that you come up on, yeah. This is spot that you come up strong. What's going on? Welcome to The Come Up Show podcast. Thank you for joining me. I'm Martin Bauman, and today my guest is a member of Jamla Cooley High, and the Universal Zulu Nation. The first rap album she ever got was Warren G's Regulate, after begging her aunt to buy it for her. She grew up playing basketball at Green Central High in Snow Hill, North Carolina, and first met Ninth Wonder while working at a shoe store in college. She was on the short list of MCs to be nominated for the freshman list this past year, and she's been getting praise from the likes of Questlove, Brother Ali, and Alicia Heed Muhammad. My guest today is none other than Rhapsody. She's back with an EP called Beauty and the Beast, we talk about everything from meeting Jay-Z to where her confidence comes from to carrying the torch from the likes of Ruby D and Maya Angelou and much more. Take a listen. <laughs> Lauren Hill, Jay-Z, two of your biggest influences. Yeah. You've met both of them now. Yes. Tell me the story of meeting each of them and what that was like. <laughs> Yo, that, that first time meeting Jay-Z was like, it was like magic, <laughs> you know, because it was like, the way that we met, if if anything would have gone differently, like it was like any split second of me picking up a piece of paper, I would not have met him. That's just how on time everything was. It was uh we were in New York at the House of Blues and it was uh myself and Ninth and Fonte on tour. And um I think Hollo had came up with us uh to New York. And Angela Yi was having a, I think it was a birthday party down at uh a bowling alley so it was in walking distance the house of blues so you know we're trying to get out after the show ninth is talking to this person hollow's talking to this person i'm talking to this person you know then we wait on hollow to get the merch and then we got to walk down there and i still getting stopped to take pictures and we finally get to the venue and you know we're zulu nation so the guy at the door he was zulu and Knife can tell me this, but like he'll be like most of the, most of the time, if you go somewhere and you see a Maybach parked out front, there's a chance that it could be Jay Z. So there were two Maybachs out front, but I didn't think anything of it. But I'm thinking Knife did. But you know, I'm just walking up. We talking about Zulu Nation, and I hear the guy and Knife. You know, they kind of step off and they're whispering or whatever. I still don't think nothing of it. I'm just like, oh, they talking. So we walk, we walk in, and we get on the elevator, and it's the elevator where the door you walk in. The door, opposite door you go out of. Mm-hmm. So when we walk in, we go down one floor and the door opens. But because of the way we walk in, uh, Knife walked in first. So when the door opened, he, so he's tall. He's 6'3". So he goes, hey, man, what's up? And I'm behind him. It's Knife, another guy, and me. And I can't see who it is. <laughs> I hear him talking. to him. He's like, I got this artist. Like, yo, like you are her greatest influence she might be one of your biggest fans. Like, you got to meet her. And he's thinking, like, I'm directly behind him, but I'm not. So he grabs the guy, and he's like, oh, well, this is my man, Rory, but let me let you meet my artist. And when I saw <laughs> it was him, it was like I, I was thankful I wasn't right behind him because I had a little – I had a second to catch – compose myself, you know? <laughs> like, it was like a moment, like, I was fucked up for a second. So he goes, and, you know – 
I don't even remember what I said. Like, I just remember shaking his hand. He said something. I don't know what it is, but I guess he saw that I was fucked up a little bit. He put his hands on, on my shoulder and he just nodded. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that was the first time meeting Jay. But after that, you know, I met him three three more times after that. And every time, like, he's always the same, humble, cool, like, real laid back. And I still don't know if he's ever heard the music. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, um, And Lauren, it was real quick, like... Uh, it was right after she performed at Rock Like a Girl, and the hallway was packed. They were waiting for her to come out, you know, to talk to people. And I was the first one in line, um, so, you know, I just asked her for advice and told her, you know, how much she was an influence. And she gave me advice, and I told her I was going to move out of the way because I could feel everybody breathing on my neck. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, but it was cool, like, and I met her twice since then, so it's really dope. Back to Jay-Z, what significance does the Black Album have to your career? Oh man, you are you was always on point. Um, that was one of my homework assignments uh, when I first met Ninth, and he heard the, he heard the first two songs that I had written or recorded. You know, he was like, "You're you're a superstar. You got it." He was like, "You just need to be coached, and you have to work on your flow and your cadence um, a little bit." So he gave me homework of you know about five or six albums to study. And he told me to go memorize them from front to back, word for word, but not memorize so much what they said, but how they said it. You know, how they wrote the beat, where they breathed that, how they, what, what inflections they put on certain words. So Jay-Z was my favorite artist, and Knife named the Black Album as one. So that was the one I studied probably the most. That might have been the only one I studied. But, you know, I just used to ride and listen to it every single day. And, you know, I every day front to back until I had the whole thing memorized from front to back like to the point where every day I would get in the shower and I would start with the first song and you know I might take a long shower but I would rap every song from beginning to end so you know that was my homework what's the most impressive aspect of that album to you wow um just his ability you know if we're talking about the science of rhyme just his ability to be simple but complex at the same time. Um, you know, that's the beautiful thing of Jay, and I think that's why he's been able to be as successful as he is and keep reinventing himself because he's still complex and he still know how to use a complex simile and metaphor, but this, the average person can still get it. Like, it's not too far over your head. Like, the setup is crazy. And, you know, I really appreciate, like, how he did that on this album and... You know, the honesty in the music, you know, like one of my favorite songs is Moment of Clarity. Pop died, didn't cry, didn't know him that well. Like, you know, his his cadence and his charisma on a track, like, is bar none, man. Not too many can do that. Like, that's what separates him from a lot of people. Like, you know, you have MCs that are lyrical all day, but what separates one from the next as far as, you know, who's better is their charisma sometimes and how they say what they say. So that's what I love. The most about Jay-Z and that project. So the Black Album was one of the albums you were given to listen to. I believe Low End Theory was another one. Yeah. What were the other three or four? Um, Snoop's Doggy Style. Um, I can't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> just, just stuck to the Black Album and just forgot everything else at the time. There were two. Yeah, I really did. There were two, I think there were two Tribe albums, uh, Midnight Marauders was one, too. Um, yeah, I can't remember the rest. <laughs> <laughs> I know that Jay-Z was in there, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
It was definitely Snoop, Jay, and Tribe like were the main ones. On a related note to that, uh, and getting into Beauty and the Beast, Young Guru mixed the EP. How did that come about? Guru, he's like family. Like that's that's Big Brother. So you know, I really wanted this one to sound good. Um, Crisis usually does our mix, and he does a great job. But you know, Crisis his main focus is making beats, and I wanted somebody who really had a passion for engineering and. Guru's one of the best and not the best at it in the game. So, um, you know, I asked Knife. Knife actually reached out to him. Um, he was like, yo, man, he was like, let us know what we need to do, how much we need to pay, whatever. And, you know, we just kind of made that happen that way. Um, so, you know, as busy as he is, like, he fit me into his schedule and made it happen. But Guru's like family, like, you know, him and Knife are best friends. And, you know, that's my big brother. So, there you go. If we can get into a couple lines off of Beauty and the Beast, you have one on who I am that goes, uh, faith is believing in something they'll never show me. Tell me about that line. <laughs> faith is believing in something they'll never show me. Like, you know, at the time, I took it to mean, you know, you always can't see it. You just got to believe it. And, you know, that's what faith is. Um, so, you know, necessarily... You just got to go kind of with your intuition and, and what feels right a lot of times before you're able to see it actually unfold in front of you. And that's basically what it means in a nutshell, like just having faith to do something, though you necessarily can't see it at the time. You got to have faith that somewhere down the line it's going to happen. So, I, I think of a very similar line on hard to choose you rap about making the choice to walk out on faith and do what feels right. You're a, you're a university accounting graduate, NC State. You ultimately choose to go into music. When and how did that decision come to take that leap of faith and go for, uh, you know, I may have this degree, but I want to get into hip-hop? Um, you know, just just not being able to ignore what was really inside and what you really want to do. Like, ever since I was probably like five or six, I knew I wanted to do music. You know, it was first Michael Jackson, just, you know, me falling in love with him and, and his entertaining. And then I got into hip-hop. And when I saw MC Light, like, I knew I wanted to be a rapper. But because of where I was from, like, you know, I didn't think it was possible. You know, I was even scared. I didn't think I was good enough. I just had to really get around the right people that were going to nourish and, and grow, help grow me and, and really show me, like, you can really do anything you want to do. So, you know, I got around Cooley High. I got around Ninth and, you know, they're dream chasers. It's like, no excuse. Anything you want to be, you could do it. Like, you know, be your own boss. You don't want to live life and have any regrets. Even if you don't make it, at least you could say, I tried. So, you know, it was just more getting around the people, you know, that were positive about it and that would push me and have my back. Because I knew, like, my family wouldn't really understand. They wouldn't get it. But they get it now. So, you know, that's the beautiful thing about it. So, you know, I just couldn't ignore it. Like, Accounting wasn't my passion. Like, I took it because I was good at math. Like, you know, I'm in college and I'm thinking, like, everybody knows what they want to do. I want to be an engineer. You know, I want to start my own business. Like, all I wanted to do was music. But it's like, you know, is that really uh, possible? Can you do that? And it's just like, man, I'm good at math. My older sister is an accountant. So I'm going to take accounting. Like, no, no passion for it whatsoever. So, you know. Just not being able to ignore it and get to the around the right people, and you hear it enough, like yo, just try it, go for it, go for it. You're like, fuck it, I'm gonna do it. So, 
you've got a line on who I am going back to this song again. You say, don't be flirting with your gift. You better marry it. You nervous? Uh, describe what's going through your head in the years between you know, graduating and finally uh, making a mark in the music industry, feeling like you're secure in the field that you've chosen. Wow, it's a real moment of awakening. Like the music business is not what you thought it was when you were growing up. Like, you know, it wasn't as easy as, oh, you're talented, get a record deal, boom, you're on. Like, it's nothing like that, especially not today and how much the internet changed everything. Like, you know, I, I dropped my first solo project in 20, December of 2010, and I'm seven projects deep, and we, we're just now really breaking ground. And I think a lot of artists don't understand how much work goes into that and how much patience you have to have, especially if you want to be an artist that's going to be around for 20 years and have a strong foundation. Like you, It takes a lot of time to build that. Um, you know, you, you think it's really easy, but, you know, that's what it is. So just having faith that, you know, everything is going to work out. You know, you drop one project and you think, oh, this is going to be the one and it ain't the one. You drop another one. Oh, we're going to, no, nah, it's not the one. So it's just really being patient and having faith and, and being honest with your music and, and just to keep pounding. Like, you know, you hear people say a lot of times, like right before you, you get your big reward is, right when it's really the hardest like that moment right before you feel like giving up that you just got to keep going and that's kind of what it's always been like there have been some hard days it's just like ah, I can't do this no more but I love it too much and you know I have faith like little wins or little signs like keep going you're almost there so that's what it is just having faith that it'll work out think back to the, what the first moment would have been where you start to feel like there's this uh this break, this, you know, shining light of uh, this moment where suddenly you feel it all kind of coming into place? Wow. I think, like, with, with every project, like, there was always something different, whether, you know, it was Ali Shaheed tweeting me, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, or, you know, Knife getting a text from somebody. It's like, yo, such and such really likes your music. Or, you know you got this great review that, you know, they're saying all these great things. Like it's, it's a bunch of different things. Um, you know, going to Japan and, and getting the love that you get there. It's like, wow, South Africa was a really, really big awakening. Like I, I was doing shows here in the States, you know, anywhere from like a hundred to 300 people. And I go over there and it's 900 people like crying and grabbing your ankles and reciting the lyrics. Like it's like, wow, that was eye-opening for me. So, you know, with everything, it's different. Like, even the tweet from Missy and, and the one from Questlove, like, you know, it's always something to keep building off of. You know, getting the email the other day that we that we made Billboard, like, that was nuts. You know, I, I didn't expect that. So I was like, wow. Like, so every project, you know, I have faith. Like, as long as I don't have a step back, as long as we grow and improve, then, you know, that's all you can ask. And after a while, you know, you're going to be where you want to be as long as you keep moving up the mountain. Where does your confidence and your perseverance come from? And what what sort of influence did your parents and grandparents have on you? Wow. Um, and my parents and my grandparents, they were both very hard workers. Like, you know, my both my grandparents owned farms. They made the kids work. Um, you know, you had to get in that field where there was getting corn <laughs> or tobacco or whatever. And, you know, my dad, he, he worked shift work. You know, my mom, um, 
she she works out. She paints China on. She paints the gold on China. So you know they're very hard workers. Like she would come home from work and cook us dinner. Like they're. I have uh, five brothers and sisters. She cook us dinner. She clean up, fold clothes like every day. And it's just like you see how hard they work. And it's just like you know you can't be lazy in this life. You got to work for everything you want. And basketball played a big thing in that too. Like you know. I love basketball and I was really good at it. And I was the first one to practice and the first one to lead. And I was also the team captain. So, you know, it, it taught me a lot about teamwork and how to be a leader. You know, when we had somebody that was doing suicides and they were running slow, somebody had to step up and motivate them and keep running with them. And that was that had to be me. I was the leader. So, you know, it just taught me a lot about, you know, hard work and, you know, you just got to keep going. Just got to. Like every day is not going to be a bad day. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, life can be beautiful. You control your own destiny. So, On Who I Am, you rap, uh, Auntie shared some wisdom, said in life you must be cunning. Can you dig into that line a little bit? Yeah, like I got a lot of aunts. Um, I have uh, five aunts on my mom's side and I got uh, three on my dad's side. And, you know, they're just always giving me advice. Like um, my aunt, I call, I call her Aunt Dale. Like, I'll go see her and, you know, we'll just talk about life and, you know, how you got to be smart and, you know, where wisdom comes from and, and listening to your elders and, and and those that have walked the path. Um, so, you know, just being smart and making the right decisions and the right moves and, and, and being aware of everything that's going around with you and listening more than more than you talk. Like, that's where you get your wisdom from. You know, and that's that's what saves you a lot of trouble and saves you a lot of steps. So, you know, just got to play life, you know, the right way. It's chess. It's not checkers. It's definitely chess. Uh, you were mentioning earlier how uh, one of the, the positives of this past year has been more and more people recognizing you as an MC above all else, not just a, you know, uh, a female MC. Uh, I want to ask you about a quote of Oprah Winfrey's. She says, excellence is the best deterrent to sexism. Uh, tell me about that quote. Um, you know, it's just being great at what you do and not boxing yourself in. Um, you know, so me and Knife always said, like, we're not going to focus on me being a female rapper and trying to be the best female rapper and trying to be, you know, the female cheerleader. I want to be the best MC, period. And, you know, once you're so good at something, you know, people can't box you in and they have to recognize you solely for your talent and who you are. So you have to be excellent and excel well at what you do to kind of beat yourself out of any box, whether it be race or gender or religion or, you know, class. You know, you have to be excellent at what you do. Um, so, you know, that's that's why that's probably one of my favorite quotes from her. Um, and, you know, that's why she is what she is today. Like she never let that she was a black female hold her back. Mm -hmm. She just wanted to be the best at what she did, and she is. So, Ninth Wonder also had a quote I want to ask you about, get your perspective on. He said, there's a certain stigma with being from the South and having lyrics, like you have to be more animated or make yourself a cartoon. Uh, tell me about that. Yeah, we had, we had just been reading reviews, and it, you know she's monotone, and she doesn't switch her voice up. And I'm I'm thinking like <clears throat> on this project that was what we did more on this one than any other project. You know, we really experimented and tried some new things, and I really found my voice on that one. 
And we just thought it was funny, like, you know, there would be other artists that were just as monotone or if not more, and they would get praised for their lyricism. And, you know, you wouldn't hear any talk of, you know, how monotone they were. And it's just like, it's because of they're from New York or, or, or L.A. or Chicago or this big city. And, you know, this is where you're from. Like, the respect of just being from that place is different, like... We always talk like if I was not from North Carolina, if I was from Brooklyn, New York, like I wouldn't have to work as hard as I am, you know, to get that that respect and that notoriety. But, you know, it's just something from being in the South. You know, people already think, you know, we talk slow and we're not as intelligent. So, you know, it's just something that comes with the game. It's just another box that you put in that you kind of have to box yourself out of. Um, and Jay Electronic has been one of the best at that. You know, we're talking about from the South, like, you know. Just getting shaking off that stigma of you know we're not lyrical and you know we're boring so that's just what it is. Do you, do you think that that shift is changing where people are starting to recognize? I mean, you think about J Cole and Big Crit and others like that. Uh, do you see a, a shift in that sort of perception? Oh yeah, without a doubt. Even if they don't, they won't say it. They know it. Like everybody won't say it, but they know it. You know. You, you can't not acknowledge that when, you know, you have artists from these big cities trying to sound like they're from the South. You know, your records sound like a South record. That don't sound like New York record. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you kind of, like, you got to know what it is. Like, you got to give us our respect. But, you know, even if you don't say it, we can just tell by your actions that, you know, you recognize it in some form or fashion. One of the things that you say on Hard to Choose is, I chose to give a damn. Uh, that kind of goes hand in hand with what another thing you say on who I am is, is saying how it's sad that they call it hate when we speak on some of them issues. It, you know, Ruby D and Maya are gone. You've got to keep the fire strong. Uh, where do you get your sense of duty from and responsibility from? Um, you know, out, outside of my parents, you know, just being a, a fan and being inspired by artists like Harry Belafonte and Felicia Rashad and one of my favorite people ever, Cicely Tyson and Nikki Giovanni, like, you know, they stood for something and they were classy. Um, and, and we need that. Like, you know, when Maya Angelou died and then a little bit after that, Ruby D died, it's just like, man, like I told Knife, I was like, you know, these, that's the last generation that really got to experience the civil rights movement. And, you know, they, they just understand and they stood for something else. Like when they are all gone, like, who's going to be the leaders? Like, who's going to carry on that torch that they carried? And it's like, it's got to be somebody. Like, otherwise, we are doomed. Like, we are so doomed if we don't have anybody to continue that on and, and, and to talk about those issues and to stand for something and fight and pick up where they left off and continue to march in the streets and go to these communities. So, like, it has to be somebody. And, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't mind taking on that responsibility because it means something to me. And because I grew up admiring and inspired by, you know, these people, like those are the people that I looked up to along with my Jay-Z's and, you know, my Nas's and my Lauren Hill's. Like I, I have a supreme love and respect for our older generation. And I don't know if that comes, you know, with being raised in a, in a big family and being in the South and, and learning like to respect your elders. Like family was really big and important to us and our grandparents and our aunts you know, that was something big for our family. So, you know, it just comes natural for me. 
one of the songs on this project where you really embody that is uh, an example like The Man. How did this song come about? Man, um, it really all came from that beat. Like, Eric G gave me that beat. And dude, I was in love with it. Like, it, it sounded painful. And it sounded like, you know, there was a lot of feeling in it. And at first, like, I got in a booth and I, I just rapped three random verses over it, you know, just to see, you know, how it would sound. And Knife was like, yo, that's, that's crazy dope. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I like it. But, you know, I really want to do something with this one. Like, I think I can make something dope. Or, like, I want to play with that that sample saying, the man. And I was sitting in here and I, I couldn't figure out a concept. Like, I was just playing it over and over and over and again. And it, it just clicked. You know, it's like, ah, oh, you could talk about a boy having to be the man of his house because I have friends that, you know, have been through that. And, you know, I see the effects of it, like how they don't know how to control their emotions or, you know, I just see the effect of it, you know, having to lose your childhood and be the man of the house at a young age. Or, you know, you don't know how to handle certain situations and talk to your son because you never had a father to talk to yours. Like, you know, it was a really important subject to talk about. And I felt like a lot of guys would be able to relate, even though it was a, coming from being told from a woman. You know, I felt like it was something that needed to be addressed. And I hadn't, I can't, I don't think I can remember anybody doing a song like that. So, you know, I was just like, yo, I'm going to go for it. And it came out dope. Like, problem and bad luck were uh, here that week and you know I think they were the first ones to hear it outside of me at night and you know they were just like dang I wish I had done that song like it's crazy you could tell that story and you're a woman and you know I could still feel it and it still feels real so you know I, I don't know I'm a tomboy I got a lot of guy friends so you know I get it all like I, I understand guys so you know uh, here's a quote from Hard to Choose. Uh, I want to connect this to a, an article too. You you mentioned how uh, in Hard to Choose how the scale tipped ain't in no black girl's favor, and I want to connect that to uh, an article how black music was neutralized. Uh, tell me about the issue here. I know you read that article, you know, just on the history of music, and you know, people ask often ask me a lot of times. You know, we're just talking about the females' role in hip hop. It's like when did it change? Like what happened? after the 90s and we had MC Light and Queen Latifah and Lauryn Hill and, you know, Missy Elliott. Like, we had all these dope females. Like, what happened? How did we get from there to Nicki Minaj? And it's like, I have a theory. Like, I still don't know exactly. But, you know, once it becomes about money, like it is, you know, they, they treat it like everything else. Like, they use women to sell it sexually. Whether you're t selling Axe deodorant, it's a woman or you're selling shampoo, it's going to be sexualized with the woman, or in movies, like, every, when you include women, it's always something sexual, so they did the same thing in hip-hop, you know, it's like, oh, women don't need a voice, we can, we can sell this easier with sex, so we're going to make that the main focus and role for a woman, and, it, you know, there's also this thing, too, of, of, you know, within our black community of light skin versus dark skin, so, you know, it's just really a, a struggle and a battle, like, for black women. Like, we don't have a lot of places where you can go see a positive role model anymore. You don't have, you know, that balance in hip-hop. You don't have a different world. You don't have Cosby Show. You have Love and Hip Hop made 25 different ways. Like, and that's the image that's always portrayed. And then we only have Nikki, which she's a phenomenal, talented artist, but... 
you know, that's all we have is that view. Like, there's nothing to balance it out to say, yeah, this is sexy, too. Nikki's beautiful and she's sexy, but this is also sexy, too, where you don't have to always be naked and you can still love yourself. So it's that's just a struggle and how it's really not tipped in our favor at all. And, you know, we're already boxed in where, you know, women are expected to be able to rap and men can't relate to them. And, you know, we don't we don't make as good as good of music like, you know, it's it's a battle from a bunch of different angles for us. So, you know. On a somewhat related note, on Forgive Me, you talk about how uh, the ones selling records now are the ones that are rapping for real. Uh, you know, Future sold a hundred, Kendrick sold a hot mill. So there is a there is a reaction to this. There is a sort of a change underway. Do you get a sense of that? Oh yeah, without a doubt. Um, you know, the internet has helped tremendously in that, and being that you kind of can, can back in control of everything, like. You can control everything you do. In the 90s, like, you know, to be as successful, you know, as uh, a Chance to Rap or Kendrick Lamar, you had to have TV and radio. Like, there weren't too many other outlets for you to reach somebody halfway in the world in seconds. But the Internet takes out that middleman. Like, you know, I have direct contact with my fans. Like, I have iTunes. Like, I don't need... A, a major label distribution everybody you know uses their phone to listen to music to watch videos now so we have itunes we have vivo we have youtube we have vimeo like you can do everything yourself and create this fan base and that's the beautiful thing about now is why and why we have this independent mo- movement and why we have so much great music now because you know everybody has that freedom and that control to do what comes naturally to them and be themselves and they don't have to feel like I have to be another cookie-cut carbon copy of what's popular or what's hot now. Like I could do what I want to do, and these are the people that like me, so these are the people I'm going to focus on and build off of that. And, you know, that's that's the beautiful thing. That's why you have a Kendrick Lamar selling a million records, because he built his fan base over time. Like He didn't try to go catchy and try to be what was popular. He did what was natural, natural to him, and he told his story that a lot of people could connect to. And so he has a solid fan base. The same with J. Cole. Like, J. Cole, don't, he doesn't have, like, a hit song on the radio, but he, he almost went gold if he didn't go gold. Like, he took the time to build that, and that all came from, you know, Internet and just being grassroots and being able to connect one-on-one with fans. So it's definitely a change coming. Like, people want something they can connect and relate to. Like, you know, that's what it is. You mentioned the this independent movement. Tell me quick about the Indy 500 collaboration and how... How does this change things? Oh man, um, well, Indy Five Hundred is is basically uh, is <clears throat> Jamla Records, War Media, and and Javote, uh Media, which is run by Talib Kweli, and then War Media by Pharaoh Munch, and then Jamla by Ninth Course. And you know, it's basically like you know, we all kind of make the same kind of music. Like you know, you have these other artists who make you know trap music or crunk or whatever you want to call it what's popular now, EDM or whatever is going on. Like they tour together, you know, they get on each other's songs. Like, why don't we do that on our level? Like, why don't we support each other, support each other and have this network and this community of, of our fan base? Like, why don't we do that? Like they do it and it's successful for them. The same thing of why Atlanta is the way Atlanta is because Atlanta supports Atlanta. Like Atlanta artists work with Atlanta artists. They tour with Atlanta artists. Like, so why don't we do that? 
So that's just bringing that, you know, idea to, you know, this this feeling or this sound of music or boom bap or whatever you want to call it. And it's also taking, you know, I'm a new artist. I have new fans that don't necessarily might know who Pharaoh Monch is. And Pharaoh Monch has, you know, this crazy fan base who might not know who Rhapsody is. And it's just like, I have the torch, you know, come with me and let me, let me help, you know, you reach new fans and I could reach your fans and, you know, at the same time introduce you and pass the torch and keep, you know, this sound uh, going because I come from that family tree. Like, Ninth comes from the, you know, Talib Kweli, Farrell Monch family tree. They come from the Tribe Called Quest family tree. So not why not keep that going and, and create this community where, you know, all everybody that loves this sound of music is all together. Like, why be spread out? Let's put it all together. So. I wanted to end things off with a, a rapid fire round. Give me your top three albums of all time. God, dog. Rapid fire. Okay. Of all time, across any genre. Any genre. Shit. Um, <laughs> Mama's Gun, uh, The Black Album, and... Uh, wow, dude. Uh, I'm going to say The Miseducation. Okay, Duke. That's tough, man. That <laughs> is tough. Uh, Duke and NC State play each other. Who do you cheer for? Duke. Basketball <laughs> <laughs> football? Basketball. Basketball, yeah. Duke? Duke, like I've been a Duke fan since Grand Hill played in the nineties. Easy, Duke. <laughs> Favorite home cooked meal? Oh, baked macaroni and cheese, uh, cabbage, and baked chicken. If you could bring any one hip hop group back together, who would it be? Little brother. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, no hesitation, little brother. First rap verse you ever memorized? Ooh. <laughs> um. Whether it would be mine or someone else's? Somebody else's. Somebody else's. Oh, it was um, Method Man's um, verse for All I Need. Shorty, I'm there for you anytime you need me, for real. <laughs> like, I love that video and that song. Like, I listen to it all the time. So that was the first verse I memorized from beginning to end. Like, Final question. You have one word of advice to offer to kids growing up. What would that be? One word? Or, well, one, you know, one phrase, one sentence. One phrase. You can be anything you want to be. That would be it. Like Anything you dream, you could be that. Well, there you have it. If you want to know more about Rhapsody, go to thecomeupshow.com. We've got music and videos to check out there. If you enjoyed the show, help us out. Subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, too, at The Come Up Show. That's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. 